This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. I don't know about you, but I, I overflow today with joy and just thanks, and I encourage you to get that way with Father God, just to say thank you, Lord, just on a daily basis. Thank you for health. Thank you for another day of life. Thank you that I'm not in the hospital. Thank you that I'm not in jail. Thank you, you know, and so it's something happens when we begin to live grateful before God, and He will bless you. Well, I welcome all of you. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Get your hand up, and our ushers will get you a Bible. Once you get that, go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5. Now, if you've been with us probably for the last month, we have talked about the grace of God. This has been our main text, 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 5. I'm probably going to try to end it today. And so we're going to dig right into the Word of God. I do believe this right now, that God wants every one of us to flourish in life wherever we're at. Whatever season of life you're in right now, God wants you to flourish. And that may be as a mom or a dad, that may be in your marriage. Maybe you're a newlywed, maybe you're an oldiewed. God still wants you to flourish. And the way he does that is through his grace. Now, one of the best, best definitions of grace I can give you is God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. And so he will grace you. So we begin in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And be clothed with humility. Now, why is it important for me to be clothed with humility? Well, watch what he goes on to say. This is the Apostle Peter writing. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. And so, once again, any time that I humble myself, I clothe myself with humility, it's going to attract God's grace. Anytime you do. And so when you humble yourself before God, when you're humble toward other people, there's a grace that'll flow toward you. And if you'll note there, he said, clothe yourself with humility. That's a choice. That's a choice for me to put on humility every day. He goes on to say in verse 6, Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Not that you exalt yourself, but that he may exalt you. And it's interesting right there. He said, therefore, humble yourselves. Now, a a verse that jumps out to me off of this same heart of humbling ourselves. In 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, it says, If my people, my people, Christians, believers, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves... And pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. I'll heal your land. Now he addresses believers there. My people. I would think it would probably be unanimous in here. That we'd all be in agreement that our nation is in dire needs of a healing. And it's very easy to get over and complain and very easy to bellyache and say, well, I don't like this and I don't like that. But once again, he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. And even in my own life, if times I would just quit watching the news media and shut up and say, I just want to pray. I humble myself before you, Father God, and I pray for our nation. 
He said he would heal it if we would do that. And so there's a humbling that can take place, not only individually before God, but when we as the body of Christ, a group of people say, we're going to come together, Lord, and we're going to humble and we're going to pray for America. God will move. And so he goes on to say, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. How many of you in here today got some cares? Every one of us. And the key was cast your care upon me. That's humbling myself. We go on and jump into verse number eight. Be sober, be self-controlled, be vigilant, watchful, or alert. Because your adversary, your opponent, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Understand this about the devil, that he's no fictional character. He's real. And his ultimate goal is to devour each one of us. Actually, John 10.10 says, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. I would venture to say that every one of us in this room at one time or another, we've been stolen from already. He's stolen something from you. And he's always on the lookout for ones that are alone, ones that aren't alert, actually the vulnerable. And his exact goal is to pounce, is to destroy if we give him the opportunity. Now, in saying that right there, I don't want you to become devil conscious about everything. There's a devil in my closet. There's a devil in my trunk. There's a devil in my car. There's a devil in my shoes. Sometimes people get so devil crazy. I don't want to give that rat that much publicity, okay? But the other side of that coin is this. You can't completely ignore him and think that he doesn't even exist because it says right here, your adversary, your opponent, the devil. That's his ultimate goal for us. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27 says, do not give place or opportunity to the devil. I can open up myself to the devil by the way I live. If I habitually live in sin, I've opened the door up to him. Now, he's not telling me i got to be perfect, but when I do sin, I don't have the heart to repent and say, Lord, I don't want to do that. But if I don't, he tells me right there with a warning, I can give him opportunity. I don't want to. Look at verse number 9. Resist him. Resist him. The New Living says, stand firm. Resist who? Resist the devil. Now listen to some of these other uh, translations. It says to set oneself against, to withstand him, to oppose him, to stand against him. The Amplified says to stand against his onset. Who is supposed to resist the devil? We are. It specifically says resist him. How does that look? What can we do? Well, I want to speak on this as we dissect this verse a little bit. Go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, and before this morning's over, we'll wake, make our way back to 1 Peter 5 where we just ended. Ephesians 6, and the Lord's going to teach us how me and you as believers can resist him. Because that's exactly what he told us to do. So he says in verse 10, be strong in the Lord. Finally, my brethren, fellow believers, 
Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now note there who the charge was to. My brethren. As believers, he's writing to us and he's saying, get a hold of that. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, once again, the charge was to brethren, believers, and he said specifically that you and me would be able to stand against the wiles, the tricks, the strategies, or the ambushes of the devil. And so when we read right there what he just said, to stand against, it means to hold at bay, aggressively to stand firm and oppose him. How do we do that? Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Well, what's his armor? Well, let's just keep reading. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against human beings. But we do wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now, I want you to highlight just a second on the word wrestle. For me to do that, That would be one-on-one combat to actually engage another person. In this passage, he said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, against humanity, human beings, but we do wrestle against principalities, powers, all these yahoos in verse 12. Who are all these yahoos in verse 12? These are the third of the angels that got booted out of heaven when the devil rebelled against the Lord. These are fallen angels. And so right here he tells me, my battle isn't against human beings. It's against them. Now, anytime in this world that you see killing, stealing, and destroying in any way, understand the devil is behind every bit of that. Does the devil operate through people? He does. But understand, it's the devil that gets inside of people that makes them do ugly stuff. But again, he's given me authority to stand against him. Now look what he goes on to say in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. That word withstand there means... To vigorously oppose. To bravely resist. So who did the apostle Paul say is going to have to stand against him? We are. We are. Look what he ends the next, the last part of the verse with. That you may be able to withstand him in the evil day having done all to stand. Now when it talks about the evil day. It cross-references one book back to Ephesians 5, verse 16. It says, redeeming the time or making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. How many of you notice our days are evil? They're not going to get better, and I don't say that ugly negatively. I'm just warning you right here. This is why we've got to start understanding what our armor is, to put it on every day, And how to use it. What is part of our armor? Well, you could keep reading verse 14 through 18 and you would see it. One of the things is the helmet of salvation. 
Part of your armor is being born again to receive Jesus as Lord of your life. Salvation is part of the armor. That's the only way you come into the kingdom of God. Another area that he says that put on the breastplate of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says we are the righteousness of God in Christ. That I put on everything that Jesus died for me to have. Also he said take the sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. Did you realize the word of God is part of your armor? Think back when the devil took Jesus out and tempted him. Every three or every category, there were three different ones that the devil tried to get Jesus to, to, to bow to him. Every one of those, Jesus said to him, it is written. It is written. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The word of God is part of your armor. When the devil uh, 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 shot arrows at Jesus and tried to get him to stumble there, Jesus fired back the word of God. I can do the same. And then in verse 18 of Ephesians 6 there, it said, you'll pray in your understanding and you'll pray in the spirit. That's part of your armor. But I must put it on every day. And I must learn to stand. And this is what he's talking about right here. I've got to learn who I am in Christ Jesus. Now to dig in a little farther, go to the book of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. It'll help us here if we'll get a hold of this. Listen, anything that I don't confront in Jesus' name, it'll never change. It will not change. And you're going to see the power that we have in Jesus' name when we read this passage. Begin with me in Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Then the 70, and they were born again believers just like me and you. Then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, and get this, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they were saying that when they used the name of Jesus, the demons that we wrestle against, we're subject to them. Every time I use the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus signifies his authority. He defeated every one of them. So Jesus basically, to me and you as believers, said, here, I give you my name. Use it. And let me give you a little insight about the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus will work if you're married to him. What do you mean by that? Jesus isn't into dating. He's not into courting. Jesus says, I want to be married to you. What does that mean? I want you to be committed to me. And see, a lot of times we just want to date Jesus. And what I mean by dating Jesus, we just want to hang around him when it's convenient. But Jesus himself, he declared in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, then obey me. The proof of the way I love Jesus is by the way I obey Jesus. And he's talking in obedience to the word of God. So when I read the word of God, I have two choices. I either obey it or I disobey it. It's the same for every one of us in the room. But when I get over and I obey the word of God, even though I, I may be persecuted for it, I'm saying, Jesus, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to your word. Now, a lot of people in our society like to say stuff like this. Well, Jesus is okay with what I'm doing. No, he's not. 
That's an excuse. Jesus understands what I'm doing. No, he doesn't. All Jesus understands is, do I obey him or do I disobey him? And so oftentimes, when we use the name of Jesus, we have the thought or we even say, I've used the name and it doesn't work. Well, then i got to ask myself this question. Am I married to him? Am I all in? And so right here, these disciples are saying, the devils bow to us in your name. Verse 18. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now I believe in this verse right here, this has a twofold meaning. When he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, that was because the devil was eaten up with pride. He rebelled against God and God booted him right out of heaven. And when he did that, he was saying to us, that's the ultimate defeat of him. He no longer has rule over you. Now I'll show you the second meaning of that when we read the next verse, verse 19. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, which represents the devil and demons, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now who did he say he gave all authority to? He said to me and you. So Jesus is telling me and you, I've done everything I'm going, to use, I'm going to do. Authority is delegated power. So Jesus said, here you go. You can read more of that in Matthew 16, 19. He said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. So in this passage right here, when the Lord Jesus says that I've given you authority, this ties back into the area of pride, I believe. That there's a warning right here that oftentimes in our life as believers, we have the thought that when we start having huge manifestations of the kingdom of God, when I use the name of Jesus and this happens and this happens and this happens, there's an opportunity for me to get over in pride and say, man, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Look, and there's a warning there. Just as he booted the devil out, remember, he resists the proud. So don't ever get over and think you're a superhero. Understand, when Jesus operates through me, he gets all the glory. I'm just getting the opportunity to use his name. And remember, authority is delegated power. And the force that he's talking about, or the value of the force, depends upon the force behind the user. What do you mean by that? you got to understand who you are in Christ Jesus. It's like a, a, a law enforcement. When he gets that badge, he understands, I have delegated authority. I have delegated power. It's the same with me and you. Jesus is saying, I give you my name. Watch what happens here in verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because the name, your names are written in heaven. The ultimate goal for every one of us is we spend eternity in heaven. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for salvation. However, I cannot neglect the truth at the start in verse 20. And he said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you in Jesus' name. So he just clarified once again. In the name of Jesus, demonic assaults, demonic activity, it's got to go. When you use the name of Jesus... Now, I want to use an analogy that may help you a little more on this. 
Let's just say this morning you're in a foxhole. And you're surrounded by enemy. And you're taking gunfire. And it's coming at you at every direction. And you have a, a radio in your foxhole with you. You pick up your radio and you call the White House. And remember, we're just pretending that's not going to happen. You reach the White House operator and you say, give me the president. And he comes on and you say, listen, Mr. President, you got to do something. I'm taking fire from all direction. You know what he'd say to you? I can't do anything for you. I've given you all the authority to do whatever you need. Now start shooting back. See, it's the same in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I've given you my authority. I've given you my name. One of the greatest things you can ever get a hold of is the name of Jesus. And when you speak it, you speak it with faith. I remember as a young believer, I'd wear that name out. I just spit out. I was like a Gatlin gun, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. I can tell you something about the name of Jesus. You just don't get a thousand bullets. You get all you need. You get all you need. And sometimes in our life, we keep putting up with stuff and we put up with stuff until the day comes when you put your foot down and you say, no, in the name of Jesus, you're not going to dominate me no more. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now go with me to the book of James. Chapter 4. James chapter 4. Talking about grace. Now this is how grace will kick in. Right after Hebrews is James. James 4 is where we're going to begin. I'll begin in uh, verse number 6. Got to get a hold of this, guys. This, this is Christianity probably 102. Once you get born again, you got to learn this stuff. And when you see the devil trying to wreak havoc on your home, your children, speak the name of Jesus. I may be speaking to you in here right now. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God hadn't given me a spirit of fear, but a love, power, and the soundness of mind. God hadn't given me a spirit of fear. What does that tell you about fear? Fear is a spirit from the devil, okay? And he's always going to try to mess with you and your children. Now, don't raise your hand in here right now. How many of you got children that are terrified to go to bed at night? Number one is this, quit putting up with it. Start saying, in the name of Jesus, you're not going to mess with my children. How many of you parents in here right now are terrified that something's going to happen to your children, whether it's at daycare or whether you let them off at school? You don't have to be that way. You let them out of that car and you say, in the name of Jesus, Father God, you said that you've given your angels charge to keep us. Begin to use the authority of the name of Jesus and speak that over them. And not only speak it, but believe it. Begin to stand on that. This is what he's wanting us to do. Get a hold of it. James 4, verse 6. But he, God, gives more grace. He gives more grace. In other words, God's grace isn't going to run out. He's going to keep giving more grace. When you need grace, it'll be there. He gives more grace. And look what he says here. God resists or opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Exactly what we read in 1 Peter 5, 5. Verse 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, if you'll note in that verse, he didn't say, you ask God to resist him for you. He said, you're going to have to resist him. 
But a lot of times we quote James 4, 7 and we say, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That's not true, okay? That won't work, pastor? No. It'll only work when I obey the very first part. Therefore, submit to God. Submit to God. Be married to God. Be committed to God. And when I live submitted to God, and I'm not saying be perfect again, but I've got to obey Him. I've got to live for Him in every venue of my life. Then and then only will I be able to resist the devil and he'll flee from me. But the charge was, you resist him and he'll flee from you. And once again, I'm smart enough to understand, in the natural, I'm no obstacle for the devil. I can't come in my own ability and my power. But when I'm submitted to God, I got the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. It's like I'm shooting bullets at him in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You know, years ago, the Bible school I, I graduated from, the, 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 the president, the man who started was a man named Kenneth Hagin. I encourage you to read his books. They're old school, but I'm going to tell you right now, they'll strengthen you. But years ago, Kenneth Hagin was having a vision. And in this vision, Jesus was sitting there talking to him. And he was giving him advice on what to do. Well, about that time, in this vision, this little demon comes walking up. And he said, the whole time Jesus is talking to me, the little demon begins to just yak. Yakety, 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 yak, 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 yak. And he said, the whole time Jesus is talking to me, the devil just keeps yakking. And he said, I'm sitting there thinking, when's Jesus going to do something about this? And Jesus keeps talking, the devil keeps yakking, and finally Kenneth Hagin stomps his feet and says, Shut up in the name of Jesus. And the little devil whimpered off. And Jesus looked at him and said, I wondered when you were going to do something about it. See, once again, Jesus has given me authority in his name. You know where Jesus is at right now? He's at the right end of the Father. Remember on the cross, he said, it's finished. Here's the name. Father God bestowed the name above every name upon him. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. It said that Jesus' name is the name above every name. In heaven, in earth, and in hell. It's a lot better than Visa, I'm telling you right now. A lot better. i got to get a hold of who I am in the name of Jesus. So he says, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's like a game of checkers. The Lord is saying, I'm just waiting for you to make the first move. How many of you have ever said this or thought this? I I just wonder when God's going to come around. No, he, he said, you draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. How do I draw near to God? I get in his presence, I praise him, I worship him, I pray. That's a novel idea. I get in my word and I say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know your heart. I want to know your... The only way I get to know anybody is I get in their presence. It's the same with Father God. So he gives me and you the invitation, draw near to me. Some of you men who got back from the men of iron, don't quit drawing near to him right now, okay? 
Keep pursuing God. Keep pursuing him, okay? And as you keep pursuing him, I'm going to tell you, he's going to draw near to you. He's going to keep coming after you. So we keep reading here. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. You know what that means? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and repent. I'm going to 2 Timothy 1.8 real quick. And the reason I'm going there is right there where it says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. It cross-references me to, to 2 Timothy 1.8. Listen to what that says. If I can get there. First Timothy 2.8. I'll get there. You got to hear this. Listen. I desire therefore that men pray everywhere. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now when he said that men lift up holy hands. The hands were lifted up and spread out toward heaven. Just like this. As an act of surrender. See, there's people that'll come in here and they'll say, man, why don't you guys raise your hands to heaven? Number one, it's biblical. The Psalms talk about it that says that when we, we lift our holy hands, we praise him that way. But in this sense, he said, lift your holy hands in an act of surrender. I remember the first time I ever went to church and I saw people doing this. I, I thought... Do they think they're getting ready to fly or take off? What are they doing? It was weird to me. But it was very liberating to me also when I began to do that. When I stand before Father God and say, Lord, I, I repent of my sin. I ask you, I surrender today. Keep going with me. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Purify your hearts, you double You know what a double-minded man is? He holds on to God with his left hand and he holds on the world with his right hand. He's torn between the two. He's a saint on Sunday but a sinner on Monday. And he said, don't be double-minded. In other words, be either all in or get out. Don't be lukewarm. Verse 9. Lament and mourn and weep. And what he was talking about here was Tears and sorrow and deep, deep sorrow and grief because of the things I've done in my life. In other words, embrace conviction. Father God, I repent of what I'm doing. I don't want to live that way. And your laughter will be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now look what he says in verse 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Anytime as a human being that I try to exalt myself, you will be disgraced. You're on the verge of destruction. But when I humble myself under his hand and I allow him to exalt me, it's a whole different ballgame. And the way I allow him to exalt me is not only do I humble myself under him, but I give him the glory. Anytime anything happens in my life, I'm like, thank you, Father God. Thank you. For, I'm so blessed because of you, Father God. I'm so honored on everything you've done. And even when you have victories in your life, once again, don't think you're some superhero. I've used the name of Jesus with great honor 
over alcohol. I spoke over it in the name of Jesus, just like that. I would address it in Jesus' name, and I'd tell it, you no longer have dominion over me in the name of Jesus. And just as we sang, boom, break every chain. I've spoke the name of Jesus over sleep. I had horrible sleep, sleepwalking. Many of you have heard my stories. Not, not even normal, I mean bizarre. Crazy, to the point of demonic. I remember one night, I woke up, and, and my wife is screaming at me at the top of her lungs, and I wake up, and I don't even realize what's going on. And I look, and I've got a knife in my hand. Don't even know it. And I knew at that point, there was something in the spirit realm that was driving me that wasn't God. And I began to take authority over that in the name of Jesus. And it's the same with you. I don't, I don't care what areas of your life that there's change, there's bondage. i got to learn to speak the name of Jesus. Humble myself. Now go with me to 1 Peter 5. Right there where we started. And we'll go back to verse Peter 5 verse 9. Resist him steadfast in the faith. And when he talks about steadfast in the faith, he's saying your faith has got to be firm. It's got to be rooted. It's got to be immovable. And so not only do I speak the name of Jesus, I've got to get to a place in my life where I speak the name of Jesus with faith. In other words, I don't say, oh, in the name of Jesus, I hope this works. Knock on, no. I study the scriptures and I start seeing exactly what happened with the disciples when they would use the name of Jesus. Even the demons are subject to us in your name, Lord Jesus. And I feed on that and it begins to swell on the inside of me that when I begin to speak the name of Jesus, I know something's going to happen. Steadfast in the faith. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You know what this tells me? That the body of Christ, we're all experiencing this stuff. And some of you think, oh no, you don't know what I'm going through. I have so much more problems. My life is so much more difficult than everyone else. You're not that special. The devil didn't create some things just for you. Understand, we're all going through things. And here's the key. There's times in my life where I have great peace and great victory. And in those seasons, it's very important that you look at other brothers that are with you and sisters in Christ and saying, we're with you. We're praying for you that you stand. I want to help. I want to be assistance. And he goes on to say this. But may the God of all grace, not a little bit of grace, but of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a while, you're going to go through some things. He'll perfect you, he'll establish you, he'll strengthen, and he'll settle you. When you're going through stuff, let the grace of God be there with you. Say, Father God, I don't know what's going on, but grace me. Grace me. How many of you have been in a great battle in your life before where it was a temptation that most of the time in your life you gave over to it, you gave over to it, and you gave over to it? And you've gone, say, 10 days, and you say, I thank you, Father God, I've gone through it, but I'm growing weary. I'm growing weak. In that setting right there, Father God, grace me here today. Grace me today. Strengthen me today that I don't dive back into this. He goes on to say, 
Verse 11. To him, Father God, be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanius, our faithful brother, our, our co-worker in Christ, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying. Listen to this. That this is the true grace of God in which you stand. No matter what you're going through, this is the true grace of God that will help me stand. No matter what the devil throws at me, the grace of God will help me stand. Get a hold of that. And no matter what you're going through in life, grab on and say, Lord, grace me today. Strengthen me today. That's why I started this and said, every venue of your life, he'll grace you. Don't care where you're at, but I got to draw near to him. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.